You're listening to the Citrus Church Podcast. Now, here's the message. This morning, we're beginning together a new series. And it's one that has been on my heart and on my mind for a little while. And it really centers around this idea of who or what is a disciple. It's a word we throw around a lot, but it's been a a thought that's been crossing my mind. What does it really mean to be a disciple of Jesus? What does it really mean to live in that way? So I wanted to take some time this summer to really dig into some of the stories of discipleship. Uh, I'm not going to lay out for you kind of a five-fold plan of what it means to be a disciple. That feels a little bit too programmed. But instead, I want to look at some of the stories of the disciples, some of the stories of Jesus, and, and what it meant for them to follow him. So I want to begin this morning with, with a brainstorm session together, if you'll, if you'll help me out here. I want to brainstorm what you think the differences are between a Disney tourist, a Disney tourist, and a Disney disciple. All right, so let me give you some context on those two things there. Uh, a tourist is a person who travels and visits a place for pleasure, right? A lot of times a tourist trip is a short-term trip that we might take. Uh, and so it might be focused on some highlights. Uh, a disciple, on the other hand, is someone who's defined basically, in the basic terms, as a follower of a teacher. Someone who has not just committed a short period of time to their life, but they've committed their whole life to this. So, so framing this in the context of Disney, because I love Disney and because I have the microphone this morning. So I want to talk about maybe some of the differences, because this is going to help us, I believe, illustrate what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. So I made a couple of examples to get our minds thinking. I'd love to hear your thoughts in the comments, too. I'd love to hear your thoughts in person in just a minute. So let's start with a Disney tourist. And my experience is, kind of having been on both sides of this thing, is a Disney tourist might head first for kind of the e-ticket rides. Now, these are the rides that are kind of the top-tier ones. So they might be heading straight for Rise of the Resistance, right? What are some of the other big ones? They might Seven Dwarfs Mine Train, Space Mountain, right? They, they, so they're looking to make sure to check off those big-ticket items. Uh, someone else who's a Disney tourist has probably mapped out in detail all the different character greetings that they're going to need to hit, right? So they want to make sure they get photos with, with Mickey, but also with Goofy, but also with this obscure character that, that somehow they know or that their kids love, and so they got to catch them wherever they're at, too. Uh, but the other thing that I've noted about a Disney tourist is that they will also, at some point, uh, leave to re-enter their normal life again. Right? They'll, they'll leave Disney to re-enter their normal life. So what would some of the other characteristics be when you think of someone who's, who's just a Disney tourist? And again, there's nothing wrong with that. Hey, that supports our economy. We thank you. <laughs> Uh, so what are some of the things that you would say? Shout them out. Need, oh, that's a good one. Okay, so they need a map, right? Okay, hang on to the flip side of that for when we come back. I'm checking the comments to see if there's any on there. Uh, Liam, if you see any on the comments, feel free to shout those out. Okay. Anything else that you would characterize as someone who's really just kind of a Disney tourist? Oh, they, they try to do it all while they're there, Right? They start planning several months out. Yes? Yes? <laughs> Matching T-shirts. Matching T-shirts. That's good. Any comments on the live stream yet, Liam? Okay. Anything else come to mind? All right, hang on to those two, those who said that. Let's flip gears to a disciple. I mentioned a disciple is someone who's a follower of a teacher. And 
Additionally, they're someone who is committed to a long-term connection with whatever it is that they are a disciple of. We're using this in a very broad stance. So some of the things that I came up with was that if you're a Disney disciple, you might just go to ride one ride because you were thinking about one particular element in that ride and you wanted to see it. For me, it's riding Winnie the Pooh and looking for uh, the photo of um, I lost it, Mr. Toad. That's there. That kind of like transitions it from the old ride, right? I'm going to try to frame myself as a Disney disciple today. Uh, you might love obscure references and trivia. <laughs> you might read Disney biographies for pleasure. Now I'm just speaking of myself. Uh, but you might also, I've, I met, met someone the other day who does this. They wait for particular releases. And so they're going to the park just to get that pin or that stuffed animal or something else, that plush, that toy that is related to that that's just been released. That's the only reason they're going. Um, they might have kind of prized possessions. I've got uh, an eyes and ears from 1983. Uh, so there's these kind of elements. So those of you who have already shared this morning kind of the elements of a Disney tourist, flip that around. How, what are the other sides of those as a Disney disciple? You, <laughs> you did that, right? You move here, yes. Show of hands, how many people moved here because of Disney? All right, all right, okay. Other ones, like... Tori, you said they, so they wouldn't need a map, right? Yeah, that's amateur hour. Yeah. They're an annual pass holder. Yes. <laughs> they, they own a Disney vacation club. Yeah, okay. We could title the sermon, Ways We've Drunk the Kool-Aid. Okay. <laughs> Anything else come to mind, some of the things that we mentioned? How do those flip around for a Disney disciple? They help the tourists that are lost. They see themselves as kind of an extended cast. Yeah. Uh, Liam, anything on the live stream? Okay, great. Uh, one of the things that caught me, too, as I was reminded of this, too, and this kind of connects with our, our sermon for today, they don't necessarily have to live local, right? Disney enthusiasts, Disney disciples can live kind of anywhere throughout the world. It's not so much about a geographical location. This is going to matter later. It's not so much about a geographical location as it is a, a passion and a commitment to follow this thing. In a sense in which this is not a casual, casual commitment that we have made and our checkbooks have made. That this is kind of a commitment along the way, right? And, and so the major difference that I see as I think about the difference between a Disney tourist, and you could expand this to Universal, uh, you could expand this to SeaWorld, to any of the theme parks, entertainments in the area. The main difference that I see is the difference of commitment. Because as tourists, we are committed and we are passionate and we are excited for a very, at a very high level, but for a brief period of time, typically. So, yes, we're excited. Yes, we're passionate, but for a short period of time. And after which we go back to things as they were in our life. But as a disciple, we are still committed and we are still passionate at a high level, but we are committed over a long period of time. This has become our thing, right? And so we will do other things, but as a disciple, this is the thing that we're a part of. Now, in another sermon on another day, I'll try to convert those who are not yet to Disney disciples. That's a different sermon. Today, what I wanted to do was really to use that as a segue to get us to think about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And so over the next couple of weeks, we'll do this together. And in particular, I'm looking at the Gospel of Matthew. One of the ways as I look at the Gospel of Matthew is that it seems like Matthew wrote, obviously, for a particular audience, for a particular church, for a particular community at that time. And the goal was to try to take all that Jesus had done, 
to compile it together in such a way that it helped shape this church or this community that he was writing to. And so we see this in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that each of them writes differently, mostly the same stories, some new, some different, but they're writing for their audiences. And Matthew's audience seemed to need to understand what it meant to really be a disciple. So much of what Matthew characterizes about Jesus in this gospel are the essence of discipleship, are the lessons that Jesus talked about what it means to be a follower. It's not to say others don't, but it seems pretty clear to me that that's at least in the forefront of Matthew's mind as he's jotting down all these things that Jesus has said and done. So, of course, the gospel of Matthew ends with this great call, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. This this mission that the church has held on to as the Great Commission for 2,000 years. But before we get to that at the end, I want to take us all the way back to the beginning and really get at this question of what is a disciple? So we'll begin this morning by looking at one of the early stories of discipleship. Uh, And it comes from Jesus' own experience. It's the beginning of his own ministry, Matthew chapter 4. And so Jesus has come out of a period of spending 40 days in the desert, kind of alone and fasting and being tempted by by Satan. And that becomes kind of this preparation for really the kickoff, right, for for the beginning of his public ministry, which is what we'll see in verse 4. So if you'll take me to um, chapter 4, beginning in verse 17. This is really the beginning of Jesus's public-facing ministry. Up to the age of 30, things were more private in the background, and this is where everything really begins to open up. This is kind of the grand opening. And I want to hold on from this. We'll start on 17. I want to hold us there for a minute. It says, from that time, Jesus began to announce, change your hearts and lives. Here comes the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Older translations say, repent and believe. Here comes the kingdom of God. This is the same idea between these two, this idea that Jesus' entire ministry will be about this, about this idea of changing our hearts and lives, shifting our perspective from what it was to what God is doing in the world. And it focuses on us partnering with God. Uh, So we'll continue on here uh, with a couple more verses. As Jesus uh, walked along the Sea of Galilee, He saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter. This is the Peter that we know from the Gospels. And Andrew, throwing fishing nets into the sea because they were fishermen. Come, follow me, he said, and I'll show you how to fish for people. Right away, they left their nets and followed him. Continuing on, he saw another set of brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, repairing their nets. Jesus called them and immediately... They left the boat and their father and followed him. I I love this story for so many reasons, but one of the things I love about this is we're seeing the origin story, right, for those who are Marvel fans. This is the origin story of the disciples and of Jesus. And this idea that these were at this point ordinary Jewish men. And while the the, the trade of fishermen is not a trade that many of us in this area would kind of do as a profession, this is something that we would do as a hobby, This was their profession. This was equivalent to what we might say someone, you know, I work in finances or or I work in hospitality or or I work in entertainment, right? That was the equivalent then of those connections now. And it's likely, because everything doesn't happen in kind of like our increments in the Bible, it's likely that at the point that they're 
hearing this invitation from this person on the sea that they had already heard some of the stories about Jesus. They'd already heard some of the things that had begun to circulate, even at a very early stage. Whether or not they recognized him is more than we can kind of see from Scripture. But we can assume that they had already heard some rumblings about this figure. And we can also assume that these were already very devout followers of God. It was kind of expected back then, whether you liked it or not, that everyone in the community, it was a faith that you were born into, and so you went to synagogue, you practiced your faith. Uh, It was a lot more ingrained than, than it is today because it was so much a part of the fabric of what it meant to just be alive in that time. So we can assume that these are people who are already orienting themselves towards God. And what we learn at the very basic level from this passage is quite simply a disciple is someone who follows Jesus. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus. So I want to talk about what that invitation looks like for them. Uh, What they were doing at this point was they were actually kind of ending their day because they had been fishing through parts of the night. So they were ending their day, and we can tell it's probably a successful night. Like they weren't doing bad at their job. Because the scripture tells us that they were preparing their nets for the next time, which meant that they were cleaning them, which meant that they were repairing them, which meant that they were folding them back up. All of those things point to, hey, we had a pretty good night. Like that's another couple of meals on the table. That's another couple of things we can provide. I mean, we have those days too where we say, hey, that was a pretty good day. Like I can fold up my binders. I can close down my computer. Things went well, right? And I think it's important for us to see it's not like these were guys who, who didn't have anything. They, didn't, they were looking for something better. They, they had something that was significant, stable, provided for them, for their family, and their community. And they had some good things going for them. What I also want to point out at this passage is that they were going about their everyday life. Remember, it's different for us because we see it as fishing, but think of it just like an everyday life. In fact, think of it like this. The call when Jesus comes up and says, come and follow me, would be just as it was if we were in the car at Carline, right? If we were waiting to pick up someone else. Got out of order there. Okay, so the call that they heard when Jesus said to come and to follow me would have come in the sense of you're on a Zoom call at 10 a.m. and someone pops into the Zoom call and says, come and follow me. When Jesus does this, it would have been just as if it was uh, 10 o'clock in the morning and you were working on a spreadsheet and you were deep into cell AA73 and all of a sudden the phone rings and someone says, come and follow me. It would be equivalent to if you are at your school and you're waiting for pickup time for the children and you're maybe talking to some people or sitting in your car and someone just comes over or hollers across the field and says, Come and follow me. It's the same kind of call that you're on Publix at aisle six and you've got uh, in your hand black beans and you've got in your hand refried beans and you're trying to think what's the best for this week. And down aisle six at Publix comes Jesus saying, come and follow me. And I think that this is so important for us because it reminds us that this really was in the midst of their everyday life. And this morning, if we want to think about discipleship as following Jesus, if we want to think about it that way, one of the helpful metaphors we can use is the metaphor of journeys, the metaphor of journeys. I always think that the metaphor of journeys can be helpful because it tells us that life has ups and life has downs. 
It tells us that there are times on a journey when we'll get sidetracked or, or, or off course. It'll tell us that sometimes we need a map, uh, that we need these guides. And as I thought about this this week, I realized I've always resonated with the image of journeys, but I began to question that. Because what I'd planned to do this morning was to share an experience of a journey that I had and use that as an invitation to help us think about discipleship. And the, the illustration I wanted to use was when I was in high school, I had a chance through Boy Scouts to go to a Philmont Scout Ranch in New Mexico. I don't know if by any chance anyone else has ever done that. But it's a week-long hike in New Mexico. It's a dry heat, right? It's, <laughs> uh, it's a week-long hike in New Mexico. Uh, we prepared for it, but we had backpacks, and we did uh, 50 miles over the course of a week. And we camped all along the trail, so everything that we had, we packed with us. We would kind of hit a way station midway through the week. And it provides all these beautiful opportunities for journey. There's a starting place. There's an ending place. We actually ended at the same place that we started. So there's this sense of a, of a connection, right, through a journey metaphor. There were times where the map wasn't correct to the trail that we were on, and we had to figure out something different. There were these beautiful vistas, these beautiful sceneries, things that I feel like I could never see. No one could ever paint. I mean, you've seen things like this. They're just breathtaking mountaintop experiences. And when I think about the Sea of Galilee, you know, we used some water this morning from the Sea of Galilee. Before I went to Israel, I thought most of everything in Israel was just like a whole bunch of deserts. It was just like desert, 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 desert. I was so surprised to see that it is one of the most lush and fertile areas in the world. It is perhaps the Sea of Galilee, one of the most beautiful places that I have ever seen in the entire world. Around this lake that's about the size of Lake Apopka is just the most green and fertile area. It, it just seems like you could just like accidentally drop some seeds and all of a sudden like something sprouts up, right? It, it's, it's beautiful. It's fertile. It's got so much ancient history. It's got so much connection. I mean, you think... Jesus walked on this road. I mean, I mean, literally, right? And I'm thinking to myself, what beautiful imagery for us to think about this metaphor of journey. But then I realized there was a problem with that for me. And the problem was is that I was taking my mind and thinking about tourist experiences. I was thinking about the ways in which I've gone to New Mexico as a tourist, that was something I was passionate, excited about, and committed to for a period of a week. I went to Israel for a period of two weeks, and I was committed and excited and passionate about that, and I, I still am. But those were kind of immersive experiences. Those are what you and I would call mountaintop experiences. And one of the things that I've realized is that by thinking about these discipleship moments in abstract terms, like they were fishermen, and this was a unique call, and this was something very out of the ordinary, very extraordinary. What it does is it, it places that experience on a mountaintop. And mountaintop experiences are wonderful. My own journey of faith, when I accepted Jesus as my Savior, came at a beautiful retreat camp in the Appalachian Mountains. But mountaintop experiences are great for that, but we can't live our entire life on the mountaintop. Just by definition, to have a mountaintop, what do you have to have? You have to have a valley. You've got to have flat land. In order to have mountaintops, you've got to have flat, ordinary, everyday land, and you've got to have some valleys too. And it's a reminder to me that discipleship is a lot less about finding more and more of those mountaintop experiences and almost chasing those in an obsessive way. 
maybe I can admit this morning that sometimes we chase those Disney moments in kind of an obsessive way. Discipleship is more about finding Jesus in those flat, everyday moments and in those valley experiences, because God's there too. And as we look at this particular scripture, we find that this is the place where Jesus connected with these individuals at. And here's why I think that matters. Because if we think of discipleship as mountaintop and pinnacle experiences, we end up chasing a high. We end up chasing an emotion. We end up chasing something that, for most of us, is something that comes maybe every couple of years, maybe less than that. And so what we're subtly doing by kind of thinking in those abstract terms is conditioning ourselves that spirituality and discipleship in Jesus is just so far removed from my everyday life. What I hope that we will see about discipleship in reality is that it is connected with everyday life. Jesus came into these everyday meetings, came into these everyday spaces, met people in those places, and invited them into a new form of life, into a new way of being. In fact, I began to think about this, and I made a list of what I think that this looks like. I apologize, my, my note didn't have this on it. There we go. You see, I think what God wants from us is that we're missing something poetic in this. Early on, our translations are different, but, but in the original sense of this passage, there would have been something pretty poetic. It was this idea that it says, they were fishermen. You remember that part? And Jesus called them to be fishers of men. Now, we were right to have changed that because the, the translation on that should be not just that Jesus came to fish for men, I actually read an interesting commentary this week that said someone thought that that could be a dating book, fishing for men. But there's something poetic in that. They were fishermen and became fishers of men. And what I see Jesus doing there is taking their everyday ordinary life, their regular job, their regular places that they go, and saying, this is what you've always done. See it now with new purpose. Right? And so we are right to have changed it from Uh, men to fisher of people or fisher of humans. We are right to have done that 100%. But I want to recapture that sense of poetry this morning. Uh, And I want to invite us to think about the roles that we play, because the very people that God is calling us to serve are not far out and far away. They're the people that we see every day. They are the people that we are seeing on the Zooms, right? They're the people that we see in our text messages. They're the people who are in our classes, They're the people at our table. They're the people who are in the cubicle next to you or the office next to you or in the grocery store next to you or in the pickup line next to you. The people that you regularly see each day in the regular places that you go are the ones that God has called us to serve as disciples. And that's why I think it matters that we really allow this passage to be seated in an everyday world. Because what God is looking for, and I've tried to translate some of these, are accountants who are good at finding details and numbers to see that as an opportunity to pay attention and to find the details and the numbers and the particular people to make sure that that no person is left behind or lost or overlooked. The accountants who are used to looking for things that others overlooked can help find people in God's kingdom. Or those who work in the hospitality world can understand the difference that hospitality can make in creating experiences for others, and they can see that they are intended to be the hospitality bearers of God. 
the ones who extend God's hospitality in Jesus. I mean, or you think about a teacher, someone who's gifted in helping others learn. And this would make sense. These are those who can help us to learn about the things of God. They're gifted in helping people to learn and to grow. We think about parents who are understanding what it means to nurture and and bring together a family and how those lessons can be shifted over to nurture and to bring together the family of God. I I think also about the, the folks who wait tables, for those who are waiting tables and serving others. And those are the ones who can extend the tables of grace, right? Extend God's table of of invitation and welcome or communion out into the world. And I was thinking this morning, this week too, does this just connect with those who who have jobs? And so I thought in particular for the person who's experiencing homelessness, who knows what it means to be without, it can help a lot of us understand what it means to have a home with God. And there are others, too, who who are outcast or kind of pushed out by society. But they can help so many others understand what it means to be included and welcomed by God. You see, what I'm trying to say here is that God wants to take our everyday, ordinary life, our our flat areas and plains, the jobs, the tasks, the roles, the, the people, all those things that we see and do every day, and help us to see them in a new and fresh way as helping to build God's family. I don't want to discount the fact that discipleship will at some point probably call us away from things, right? In order to to be passionate about anything else, you have to lay aside certain things. If you're going to be a Disney disciple, you got to take some other things out of your life. You at least got to make room on your bookshelf for a lot of trinkets and those kinds of things. I don't want to discount the fact that, that there will be times that discipleship will call us to have to set aside or lay aside things. Jesus said, come and follow me, and they left their dad in the boat with the rest of the fishing nets. Zebedee had to figure out what he's doing the next day. But they needed to leave that behind in order to go and follow Jesus. But I want to say that 95% of the time, most often it's a call to see our everyday non-mountaintop life as something that is actually unique and adventurous and as a way that God wants to invite others into the kingdom of heaven. So this morning, what I want to invite us to do is simply to be refreshed in what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. One who follows Jesus in their everyday life. Keep in mind that when Jesus told those first disciples to follow him, they didn't immediately leave and kind of go to this other place to do ministry. The Sea of Galilee was a circle. There were only about nine, maybe ten towns around at that time. And most of Jesus' ministry, there, were, there was even a part of it that was kind of a Gentile area where most Jews didn't go. So most of their time was just since circling this area. They were back by the same lake shores. They were back in the cities they knew. They were doing new things in the same places that they were their entire life. And so this morning, I want to invite us to think in particular about how this invitation can connect with us in a fresh way again. So whatever you're feeling, I want to invite you to hear once again, in a new way, Jesus' invitation, come and follow me. Come and follow me. I don't know the connection to this, but if you hear noise, there's actually a parade outside the window. It looks like two fire trucks and like a birthday parade because there's banners and streamers. Graduates. Okay, see, just when we think that this idea of following is far off and foreign, we see everyday examples happening all around us.
So as we shift into a time of prayer, as our team comes and leads us in worship, I want to invite you to really reflect on those words again and hear that call in a fresh way. Jesus saying to you, come and follow me exactly where you are today. Amen. Let me invite us into a time of prayer and we'll close together with the Lord's Prayer. Oh God, as we gather together this morning, we give thanks for your grace. You called us when we weren't even looking to be called. Like those disciples, we were just busy with our everyday stuff. And instead of waiting for us to come after you, you came to us, to humanity, and said, come and follow me. And so, God, we give thanks for the ways that your grace has reached out to us before we were ever even aware of who you are. Help us to discover in a new and fresh way this week how we can follow you in our jobs, in our work, in our communities, at the grocery store, at the places that we go and frequent every day. Help us to take the gifts and the talents that you've given us and use those to bring encouragement or hope or faith to someone else. For God, we ask all of this this morning in Jesus' name, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for listening. Make sure to visit our website, citruschurch.org. If you found refreshments in this message, share it with a friend. And hey, God loves you.